Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Assalamu alaikum. It is a great honor and a great privilege uh, to spend Tuesday evenings uh, in conversation, and I do emphasize conversation. Um, uh, conversation, of course, between uh, Nikki and I, but also conversation with the, the community uh, about a topic that is of perpetual relevance to all of us. You know, this class, this session has been dedicated to the diseases of the heart, um, learning about them, diagnosing them, and then prescribing cures uh, for them. Last week, uh, Sister Melissa and I uh, discussed comprehensive treatment for the diseases of the heart. And this week, Sister Nikki and I will be discussing the root of all of the diseases of the heart. So I'm very happy to be in conversation with you, very honored. Um, I wanna start with just that expression, the root of all of the diseases of the heart. What are some of your initial impressions? What are some of the, the first things that come to mind? So I, I read the chapter of Bismillah ar rahim before coming. Um, and um, I'm not one to agree or disagree with the, with the sheikh, but of course I, I agree with the summation that it's love of dunya. I mean, it's simplified, but that really, that really is everything. Um, it may be something particular in dunya that's, that's pulling you away from Allah and, and clouding your heart. But when it comes down to it, it really is that simple as love of dunya. Love and, of dunya. and it comes in so many forms. So, mm. you know, um, maybe it's your Netflix binging that's, that's pulling you away. Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the friend set that you're with. Maybe it's the love of wealth. Maybe it's, you know, sometimes for people, it's family. Um, but all of that is, all of that is dunya. It's funny you say that because even though the word dunya, it, 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 the literal meaning of dunya is that which is lowest or that which is closest. So like one good way of translating dunya is the most immediate world, right? That which is um, most accessible in the world, right? And sometimes I think uh, we forget that everything we're experiencing is a part of the dunya, right? The good and the bad. This is all, this is our experience, the realm of existence that we experience directly is the dunya. It's the dunya. Some people use dunya like it's only the bad things in the world, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's even common among converts to say, when I was in the dunya, you know, like they, by which they mean before Islam. Mm -hmm. They say, man, when I was in the dunya, and I'm always like, still here. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I knew you were enlightened spiritually elevated individual, but now I know you're not even in the dunya anymore. <laughs> but the dunya is, all of it is dunya, right? And so the first thing I thought about is what are the reasons that we fixate or unhealthily attach to different things in the dunya? 
Ooh, that's a deep question. Um, and it's one that I've actually been reflecting on a lot over the last year, just because of, of things that I've been experiencing mm. in life. Um, and what I came up with, and again, it sounds simple, but I think it's, it's, it's complex depending on who you're talking about and what it is that you are attached to. But I think it comes down to a fundamental distrust in our Lord. Um, so you don't trust that he's going to be able to provide for your is your provision. So I gotta, I gotta keep piling it up. I gotta do what I gotta do. I gotta get it. You don't believe you don't trust that he's going to provide um, whatever the need is that you have. It's a feeling of it's a it's a fundamental lack of trust of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and feeling like, therefore, you have to be the one that makes this happen. Therefore, you're going to make that your, your ilah in some respects, your God, because you're going to chase this and you're going to, you know, almost like worship this thing um, mm -hmm. in order to pursue it. I think we're thinking along the same wavelength entirely, because I think it is the lack of tawakkul, this lack of reliance upon God. Mm -hmm that leads to an unhealthy attachment to some aspect of the dunya, right? Now, if you look at it like in totality, it's because you don't trust, you don't believe, or you're not certain that there is something after this that is more lasting, something after this that is permanent, something after this that you will inevitably encounter. And this world is only a place to plant those seeds that will be harvested hereafter. Right. Now, if you really don't believe that, or if you really don't accept that, or if you really haven't settled on that, then the world becomes all you have. Right, and you gotta chase it. And you gotta <laughs> chase it. And that's actually the meaning of the statement of the prophet, peace be upon him. That the dunya, is a prison for the believer, but a paradise for the disbeliever, mm -hmm. right? A prison for the believer because God willing, whatever we get in the next life will make any enjoyment we had in this life seem- Like pale, pale, completely it will, pale It would completely pale in comparison. Mm -hmm. And the same is also true in terms of punishment. Mm -hmm. Any punishment that one receives in the next life will make all of the enjoyment of this life seem like paradise. Mm -hmm. Like it was the best thing ever experienced. You yeah. ever experienced, right? SubhanAllah. Um, he begins, he says, oh, I'm having a tough time with this mic. It's going in and out. I'm hitting it. And, he says, the root cause of all of these diseases is love of the temporal world. This is the opinion of both Al-Hilali and Ibn Ashir. Ibn Ta'ilah, on the other hand, considered the root cause of every disease to be our self-satisfaction. Mm. Now, what, now that really, that seemed like such an interesting pivot. Like first, okay, because when we were talking about the love of this world, I was thinking about uh, the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, in which he said, you know, I don't fear for you uh, associating partners with God. But at the end of time, you will be weak, you will be insignificant, speaking to the Muslims, mm -hmm. right? And um, they said, will our numbers be uh, few? And the Prophet said, no, your, your numbers will be abundant. 
two things. Love of this world and uh, aversion or hatred of death, right? So you love this world and then you want to, uh, you engage this world as though you are going to be here forever, right? So that, when they were talking about love of the world, like I had something I could like attach to mm -hmm. in the sources, but this one, I had to dig a little deeper. Right, self-satisfaction. What, what, what do you think about that? That he says that here, one scholar, Ibn Ta'ala, he said the root cause of all of the diseases of the heart is our self-satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see that too. I feel, I feel like they, they seem opposite, but they're somewhat twins of the same. Um, mm. The lack of tawakal, the lack of trust in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, because without that trust it's then you're dependent on you and um we can get diluted so we start to feel good about the little efforts that we do um and when you start feeling too good about what you're doing in a negative way you stop forgetting who's allowing you to do these things so even the little bit of good that you are managing to do is still coming from a source greater than you um and if you get too diluted you stop acknowledging that and it becomes again it all becomes you know nafsi nafsi it's all about myself myself mm. um and and you're still in that same position of of kind of taking oneself as one's lord you know uh, in terms of thinking that you're relying strictly on yourself and then being satisfied with that reliance you know once i was listening um to a lecture by uh, a scholar named uh, Imam Fode Durame. And he quoted a verse of the Quran that I had read at least a thousand times, right? Because, you know, I, I, was, I was once a student in a madrasa and I was attempting to memorize the Quran so I, I literally probably read this verse a thousand times, but in Surah Al-Layl, right, the chapter of the night, the 92nd chapter of the Quran, I believe, Allah describes a certain kind of individual and he says, Bakhila wastaghna. Bakhila means to be, to be stingy, right? If you speak Urdu, to be kanjus. That's Bakhila, to be, Arabic we say Bakhil, person is very stingy. But then Allah says, Bakhila was He's stingy and he deems himself self-sufficient. And the Imam said, those two are always connected. Because if a person does not deem themselves self-sufficient, then they recognize everything they have came from God and from the help of countless other people. Everything I have, people have helped me to get. So it's very easy for me to give, right? right? Yeah. It's, it's in a sense, my giving is paying it forward. Like so many people have helped me along my path. Ultimately, God has helped me to attain anything that I've attained, to achieve anything that I've achieved. For me to lend a helping hand to someone else, it's just decency. But if you deem yourself self-sufficient, I got this on my own. No one helped me. I am a self-made woman. Then it's very easy to be stingy because your attitude toward other people is, no, I got mine. You go get yours. 
you know, one of the things that I think the youth are fond of saying is, I got it out the mud. I had to get it out the mud. Nobody helped me. This, this has become a, a, like a trope of ours. Nobody helped me. So how will you then help someone else? Right? How can you? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Only when you recognize I've been the recipient of great favor, first and foremost from God. Secondly, from many people, all of my teachers or all of the patrons at my restaurant or all of the uh, clients at my business, all of these people have helped me, right? So the first thing I thought about is how easy is it for us to be in a state of complete delusion with regard to who and what we are? It's very easy. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> I mean, especially because we have a culture that, I can't even call it American culture. Now I think it's worldwide. It's, it's exactly what you described. I'm too old to have recognized the, the, you, the phrase you said that young people are saying, so I completely, I have to ask my kids about that one. But, um, you know, in my day, it was the whole pulling yourself up by your, your bootstraps. bootstraps kind of thing. And, you know, exactly. I mean, we love that. We love those origin stories where I did it all by myself. You know, I, I had nothing and I built and I built and I built and now look at me. I mean, we, we love that. We idolize that. And in this country. And I think worldwide now, you know, like how many of us love those origin stories of your favorite startup? You know, he had nothing. I mean, they changed the story just to make it, you know, sound somebody like, on the sideline is like, you know, his dad was a millionaire, right? right. right? No, <laughs> because the origin story is we started in the basement. We started in the garage, you know, I mean, we, yeah, we love that. from the bottom now, you know, so, I mean, I think it takes the strong, very God-centered, God-conscious person to break that mold because it is so prevalent. And I mean, our society eats that up and loves that. So it really takes a certain kind of personality to, 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 to stay reflective of like, no, no, <laughs> I, I got this from somebody else. Somebody like, gave yeah, it to me. Yeah. What about with regard to like character? You know, it's, it's um, you know, once, you know, the great uh, Imam Shafi'i, who of course is known for his legal scholarship, when people reference Shafi'i, they're usually referencing his legal brilliance, but he was also known for being a person of good character. And uh, somebody asked him, they said, how did you develop your character uh, you know, to such a great you know, extent? And he said, I take my critics seriously. And they said, excuse me? And then he winked and said, my wife. <laughs> that, the criticisms that I hear from people close to me, I'm actually willing to take those criticisms seriously. And this has led to great growth for me. Mm. And one of the things that I think I struggle with is that I'm always too defensive to take critique seriously so that I can grow. Mm. So Ibn Atta'ala is saying, when you're self-satisfied, this is the root cause of all of the diseases of the heart, right? When you can't take any criticism because it's like, no, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm right. good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. When somebody tells you, you need to work on your temper a little bit, you could be a little more grateful, right? Sometimes you come off as a bit entitled. Mm -hmm. When someone tells you, you know, I love you, but you can be a little inconsiderate. If you take those things seriously, well, now, now it doesn't mean that everyone criticizing you right. is offering a well-founded criticism, but 
everybody isn't lying. <laughs> if you're hearing the same thing from your spouse, from your parents, from your colleagues, from your neighbors, from your classmates, from the guy who dropped you off in the Uber. I think we need to interrogate that then. You might need to interrogate that. Right. When you say, man, the guy, the Uber driver just told me I need to slow down a little bit, man. You know, I'm, I, I'm a little judgmental. Yeah. I mean, I got into his car and said, man, this is the dirtiest Uber I've ever seen in my life. Hurry up and drop me off. And I'm like, I'm giving you the worst rating I can. Like, I just had somebody here, man, that had a bunch of animals and I just dropped them off and they made the car dirty, man. If you'd asked me that, you would have known. Mm -hmm. True story, by the way. <laughs> when you, <laughs> when you, um, you know, take criticism seriously, you can grow. Now, my question for you, and maybe you can help me with this. How does being open to constructive criticism and nurturing a, a healthy sense of self-esteem, how do those two coexist? How can we do both of those at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not easy, it's, it's difficult. Um, I think the nafs, the ego, is such that it hates criticism. It hates anything that's telling it, don't be the way that you are, you know, rein yourself in in whatever shape, uh, form or shape that that means. And we don't, you know, we don't like that. But that's the whole struggle that we have in dunya in this lower, in this lower level that we're in. It is the struggle of letting the, the soul overcome the, the nafs, the, the ego, and to mm. put it in its place and to keep it in its place. And I think um, one of the important parts of, I think, studying prophetic character mm. is you really, you learn how to take criticism. I mean, our prophet, um, he was the best example, and yet there are times in the Quran where he is, he's, he's, I don't know, how do you want to say it, in a respectful Mute way. Or, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. told Correct. You, you need to have done this differently, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and if our prophet can take that and have it memorialized in a book that we're going to be reading to the end of time, you know what I mean? Then we can take whatever little criticism this I person has. To, you know what I mean? I like, like we, we, can, we can take it. You know, the, the thing about uh, critique and praise is that they reveal the very fragile state of the nafs. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody criticizes me, my first retort, you don't know me. When somebody praises me, I never say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> if somebody praises me, I never say, how do you know? You don't know me. <laughs> no, I say, well, you noticed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you noticed that, didn't you, mashallah? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Sheikh Asha'ar, in the same vein, you know, Sheikh Asha'ar Awi, uh, the great Egyptian scholar, he said, whenever the topic of the eternity of paradise and hell is brought up. And there has been a lot of conversation, you know, among Muslim scholars about the eternality of hell, right? There's, there's debate about that. But he says that everybody always asks, I mean, is it really just for God to punish someone eternally? He said, nobody ever says, is it really just for God to give me a reward eternally, right? Because the nafs automatically responds to that which endangers or threatens it. That which promises to ingratiate it has no problem with that. He said, no one has ever asked me, God is going to put me in he heaven forever? 
for just a good life of 60, 70 years? Is that fair? Nobody says that, mm -hmm. right? Because that which promises ingratiation, pleasure, comfort, you know, that which, uh, uh, you know, props up the ego, that which, you know, uh, promises the ego some kind of enjoyment, it's never uh, received with uh, the same critical, give me more. No, but I also think it goes back to what you mentioned about self-satisfaction. I think mm -hmm. we can delude ourselves and yeah, we struggle, but like we can delude ourselves into thinking our struggle was worth that. You know, well, of course I get eternity. You know what I have to do down here? You know what I mean? But like, no, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. Like we've been told that nobody, not even the prophet I said to Sam is going to get there without the mercy of Allah. Like yes. none of us make it there without yes. his mercy, but yes. that delusion that we're so great at, we do that, you know, mm -hmm. so we can convince ourselves. Yeah, I Really struggled so eternity doesn't seem like something I should question because I believe I deserve that. I deserve it now the rest of it mm. uh, you know exactly right um it's funny because you know Dr. Omar uh, may, may God preserve him he would always say that that self-satisfaction in the soul is like that that young child at the birthday party thinking what a good boy am I <laughs> You know, everybody's smiling at me. Everyone is here for me. That's like our nafs, you know. It's like the, the primordial state of the nafs, you know. What a good boy am I, right? I'll always remember that. He continues, and this conclusion is obvious because being dissatisfied with oneself prompts you to seek virtuous character and to vigilantly avoid what is inappropriate. So like what I, what, I, what, I, what I gather from that is that if you were dissatisfied with yourself truly, you would change. You would change. And that if you don't change, even if you're giving lip service to the idea that, oh, I need to change. I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. You must like it. Mm -hmm. Because if you truly were dissatisfied with it, you would change. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, once um, I was I was reading uh, a different scholar, a scholar that, in fact, he referenced Ibn Ta'ilah, and he said, do muraqaba, like take yourself to task, but don't do so. Don't do so while laughing and joking. See, a lot of us, we engage in self-reproach as a kind of like self-deprecating humor. Mm -hmm. We're sitting with friends and we're talking about how lazy we pray. We're talking about how we can barely wake up for Fajr. We're talking about our material excess, but we're joking about it. Man, I got so many pairs of shoes. And, oh man, I got so many handbags, you wouldn't believe. Oh, if somebody serves this particular dish, oh man, I just eat and eat until I'm about to pop. <laughs> He says, don't do, he says, when you take yourself to task, joking, you never really take yourself to task. Mm. The fact that you're joking about it indicates that you really don't think it's that much of a problem. Because if you really thought it was a problem, it would either one, embarrass you, mm -hmm. right? The Prophet ﷺ said, nafsik." The sin is that which wavers in your soul, 
Right? It wouldn't be something you're laughing about. And the thing that you would be uncomfortable for people to know about you. See, that is the thing that you're really, see, shame. Shame. And, you know, subhanAllah, I'll say this and I, I want to hear what, what you're thinking, right? But we've moved away from being a shame-based culture. And I do agree that shame can be excessive mm -hmm. because a lot of Muslim cultures are very shame-based. Mm -hmm. Sharam and, you know, sharaf. And these are like shame-based cultures where like to do something wrong is to be made to feel ashamed, right? Um, what is the expression in Urdu? What will people say? You know, uh, 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 Hassan Minhaj has a whole bit about it, his first stand-up special. Oh, I forgot you guys are pious Muslims, you ain't seen that. Get real. It's the, the phrase in Urdu that, what will people say? Some, an honest man. <laughs> you guys saw that special too. But he was talking about kind of the excessive shame-based culture. And I do believe that when shame is excessive, it can be um, uh, incapacitating. It can be demoralizing. But when shame is completely absent, when you're not made to feel shame about anything, it can be absolutely self-destructive. Mm -hmm. When you have no shame, when it's like, and in our culture, it's like, don't feel any shame. Justify anything you do. And if other people don't like it, that's, that's their, their problem. problem. That's their problem. And this might be the reason why we can joke about our radha'il, like the, the despicable parts of our character so easily because we don't feel any shame. In fact, I think some of us think, some of us think this makes us real. Mm -hmm. this, this, this gives me a little texture. This, this makes me relatable. Yeah, I mean, relatability is important, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, you want to have some texture. You want to have an edge. You know, I'm, I wore a leather jacket tonight. You know, sometimes I want to feel like I got some edge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, no, that was a joke. I was just joking. I was just joking. <laughs> that was for a minute, you know what I'm saying? But being relatable, um, uh, being real should never displace shame. The Prophet said, If you feel no shame, do whatever you want. Well, and that's our culture, right? Just do it. I mean, that's, 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 that's been kind of Nike's phrase for the last, what, 30 years? And that, that's where we are, you know? That's like all of our popular taglines from YOLO a while ago to whatever it is today. It's all about that just do it mentality, you know? And we have this, this again, delusion of if what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody else, well, it shouldn't ashamed. be a problem, which... You know, the fallacy there is you assume that what you're doing is not hurting everybody else, but you can't see all of the, the layers that bond us together, not just as families, but as societies. And so, yes, your personal shortcomings when you're not trying to work on them absolutely are going to have ripple effects. You just may not see them. We may be blind to how they are affecting the whole of society, but they are absolutely 
affecting the you whole know, of society. One, one sociologist said the, the idea that sex is just a private act between two or more individuals is such a misguided idea. You know, the, the, this, this, it's, it's, uh, you know, it has societal, impl you know, implications, ramifications that, I mean, the most obvious is if a child is conceived right. by two people that are not prepared to parent a child and don't have any commitment to each other or to a child mm -hmm. together, it's usually those children that feel neglected and then wreak havoc on other people's lives. On other people's lives. Mm -hmm. But the sex that produced that child is treated in just a private act. Right. Not Two consenting business. adults. What is it, you know, it's their business. Mm -hmm. But this guy carjacking me right now was the product of two consenting adults just minding their business and was raised in a household of two consenting adults just minding their business in which he was sorely neglected. Mm -hmm. And in a society in which he was sorely neglected. And so this is how he has taken to making a living. But his existence began as just two consenting adults right. minding their business. Uh, we, I mean, we have to think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's deep. I mean, I think it's really deep. And unfortunately, that's not something that modern culture, I mean, you know, we're all about the quick, the fast, the easy right now. And that really requires reflection. You have to, you have to look beyond the surface. You have to be able to see things on a whole different plane in some ways. Mm -hmm. You have to really see the interconnectedness of humankind, especially the people that you don't feel a connection to. You have to see that there is a connection between all of you all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like the majority of us are just not, we're, not you know, we're too distracted. We're too tunnel we're vision on, on our wants and our needs. And we're just, you know. We're not there. Yeah. You know, when I think about shame, you know, one story, well, really, uh, really an experience that comes to mind. This was just a crazy experience, man. You know, on Division Street, right in front of one of the old white brick buildings of the Cabrini Green housing development, there were uh, a couple of Muslims that owned uh, a convenience store. And, you know, I would go by there and, and uh, you know, one of my friends actually worked there. And unfortunately, man, they didn't sell alcohol, alhamdulillah, but they would sell all of the paraphernalia necessary to smoke rock cocaine. And they would sell it all together. They would, they would sell it all together. You can buy a lighter a piece of SOS pad, right? Look, they sit in the back like, well, babe, you, 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 you're giving them tails to the hood. You're giving tails <laughs> in the hood. <laughs> There's a point to this story. The point to this story. This is not poverty porn or something like that. No, it's not, that's not what this is about. You could buy a lighter, a piece of SOS like that you wash like a pan with, and a little glass flower, like a, like, like a rose inside of a little glass tube, but the rose was just quickly discarded. They're using the, the, the glass cylindrical thing to, to smoke with. And I would watch people come and purchase this kit for $2. I still remember, you got the whole kit for $2. And people at the beginning stages of their addiction did not want anyone to know that they were purchasing this. They would, they, would, they would sit in the store idling, 
waiting till the store was near empty. Then they would approach the front saying, hey, can we, uh, you know, they would lower their voice. And for that person, you could see that there was shame. They were ashamed of having succumbed to addiction. And then some people would come in, store busy, yelling as they're talking to somebody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, put one of those kids together for me. And I urged the brother, you should stop. This is not, if you're deluding yourself into believing, it's just a lighter, a piece of uh, choy, a piece of SOS pad, and a little flower. You know what they use this for. This is why you sell them in combination. Stuck for no to boy like. And he eventually stopped selling that, alhamdulillah. You know, right? I petitioned him, some other brothers petitioned him, and he eventually stopped. But it was such an observation in shame. Seeing a person at the beginning of their addiction, they had much shame. No. You know, or a person coming to buy drugs, pretending like they're buying it for someone else, right? But, 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 but customizing, it's like, yeah, no, nah, he don't like it like that. <laughs> give, give a different one, give a different one. He, he, you know, no, no, because there's shame. There's shame. But when shame goes, it's out the window. And when I saw that, I thought about the words of the Prophet, if you don't have any shame, do whatever you want. Because it doesn't matter at that point. The soul is dead. See, sometimes, you know, our actions and our values are not in alignment. That happens. Usually when that happens, there's a, there's a feeling of shame. I did something that doesn't really represent me. I said something that's not the best expression of what I am, who I am. There's some remorse, there's some shame. If you don't have that, the actions don't even matter. SubhanAllah. And may Allah help everybody struggling with addiction, inshallah. He said, the origin of either of these states relates to the company one keeps from either camp. For a man's character is that of the company he keeps, or a woman's character is that of the company she keeps. What are some of your thoughts about that? It's deep. It reminds me, I don't remember if that was hadith or just one of those sayings from one of the sages of the past about, you know, um, hanging around somebody that's in a perfume shop or works in a perfume shop, you're going to smell like the perfume. You hang around somebody that's a, a blacksmith. Well, we don't really have a lot of blacksmiths, but I guess someone who was, say, a modern-day garbage man, you mm -hmm. know, you're going to smell like that. And, I mean, I definitely, in my years, I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen that, you know, you, you become like the friends that you keep. Yes. And they, uh, they become a reflection of you. Um, and, you know, there are some people that are strong enough to be able to... to have friends that maybe aren't where they need to be and that does not affect them. But I think by and large, for most of us, you need to keep good company. You know, you need to be around the people that you see and want to emulate in good ways um, to protect yourself. You know? you know, the Prophet, alayhi salam, said, Al-mar'u ala deeni khalili. 
that an individual is on the dean of their close friends. Now here, when he says, it comes down to the company you keep of either camp, he's saying that if you are in the company of people striving to be virtuous, then you will naturally strive to be virtuous. But if you, and one of the characteristics of people striving to be virtuous is that they recognize their shortcomings. In fact, one of the great benefits of uh, spending time with righteous women, righteous men, is that when you see how they think of who they are, it just makes you ashamed that you can even feel that you were, it's like, this is a person that, you know, if they lose their temper slightly, like if they, if they express kind of a slight agitation too aggressively, they will take themselves to account for that. You know, it's like, you know, what I said back there, I shouldn't have said. I'm like, what did you say? <laughs> like, what did you, you know, I mean, when you asked me, I think maybe the way that I express my discontent, like I smirked a little bit or just my body language. I don't want you to feel anything. I'm like, if that is your level of self-awareness, mm -hmm. then I need to just go home and never come out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> wipe that self-satisfaction away really quick. Really, it's like, <laughs> you're apologizing to me for what? Because you, I said something and you like smirked or shrugged. How many people do I need to apologize to? Mm -hmm. That maybe something I did contain other something I did harm them, my facial expression or the way I responded or my tone of voice or, I mean, that is the benefit of good company. You know, they say that the, um, I forget the saying, but they say that the, um, the, uh, the good deeds, they say the good deeds of the salihin or the good deeds of the righteous, are the sayyat of the muqarrabin, are the bad deeds of those that are truly close to God. I remember hearing that saying, what do you mean? And the sheikh said, like waking up for Fajr one time. He said, many of us, if we wake up for Fajr on time, oh man, look, oh, every, look, everything is going good after that. It's like, I woke up for first one time, I go to the gym, every shot is going in, you know what I'm saying? People are like, man, you're on fire today. I woke up for first one time. <laughs> and that's like a big deal for some of us. It's like, you have some people, if they woke up at the time of Fedger, they would be devastated. I, did, I miss Kiamalea tonight. Mm -hmm. We're like, so what? <laughs> right, it's not mandatory. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, Okay, you missed Kaylin. You woke up for Fedra on time. Shouldn't we celebrate? We woke up for Fedra on time. That's what they mean. Mm -hmm. When you're hanging out with people who, you know, they're striving in that way, you start striving in that way. You know, the Prophet ﷺ just really, really penetrating advice. He said, knowing that we are creatures of comparison. We compare ourselves to people, mm -hmm. right? It's natural. When it comes to Dean, always compare yourself to people better than you. This will keep you striving. 
right? Think about who you are in relation to your grandmother. Think about who you are in relation to this sister. Think about who you are in relation, in, you know, in relation to, uh, you know, you know, this sheikh. But when it comes to dunya, right, worldly attainments, always think about who you are in comparison with people that have been given less than you because it will make you grateful. Mm. You will have, a, you will have a, a, a truer sense of gratitude. You know when that really happened for me? Funny, funny. I'll tell you. One of the things I've always wanted was a big beard. I always wanted a big beard, man. It was just, I would make dua in sajda for a big beard. I would be in sajda like, make my beard grow, O Lord of the world. I always wanted a long, I always wanted a big beard. You know, Sheikh Muhammad Imam on 63rd Street was one of my teachers. And I would see his beard and think, subhanAllah. <laughs> If only I could have a beard like that. <laughs> and I don't know if it's hereditary, but my beard will not get any longer than this. If it does for like a couple of days, it's like looking full. I go to sleep, I wake up, it's broken off. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I just can't, I just can't. You know, and I, I went to school with daisies. Some of the most hair suit people in the world. It would be a boy like 14, his beard down here. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is the diet, man. Do I need to start just eating down chowder every meal and then maybe I'm gonna get a joint. It never happened for me. And, and I remember once I was at Azhar and I saw a brother from Indonesia. He had two strings. He was playing with the strings like this. And I looked at him and I laughed. I said, <laughs> He said back to me, Sunnah. <laughs> Sunnah. And I thought to myself, SubhanAllah. It's okay. It's not, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the beard I want. You know, I want that most interesting man in the world beard that comes up and connects at the mustache. And, you know, you can barely just see my eyes, you know. But he probably wants the same kind of beard. All he has is two strings. He has two strings and he's, he seemed content with his two strings. I looked at, he was, and I just, it was the funniest sight to me. I said, <laughs> he looked and said, like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Duh. Why else do you think I have these two strings? And I thought, subhanAllah, I should be comparing myself to him, not Sheikh Muhammad. Shaykh Muhammad's beard is like down his navel. You know, I'm just like, ah, this thing is nothing, man. You know what I'm saying? So the problem with our community is we do the opposite. Mm -hmm. When it comes to anything of the dunya, we compare ourselves to people that have much more than us. It's like, look at my car. Look at his car. Look at my house. Look at his house. Look at my clothes. Look at her clothes. Mm -hmm. Look at my job, look at her job. And when it comes to Dean, we compare ourselves to people that don't even practice. Right. It's like, I mean, at least I'm better than him. I mean, I, 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 mean, I pray to eat. I mean, I come to Juma. I mean, he, he's really out there. She's really out there bad. No, we're supposed to do the opposite. Mm. 
Compare yourselves to people that have been given more than you in faith and people that have been given less than you in dunya. SubhanAllah. Any other thoughts about suhbah, about good company? I have a question for you. Okay. Um, what would you say to somebody that just is like, I don't have it. Like I can't, I don't, you know, I don't have friends like that or I don't know the people that, that have the good character that I should be hanging out with. SubhanAllah, they say that being in the company of good people is better than being alone. But being alone is better than being in the company of bad people, mm. right? Um, the other thing that I think when we talk about being in the company of people of good characters, never forget that you might be a source of inspiration for someone else. So strengthening, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, just like, you know, because when we're hanging out with people of good character, we have to also reckon that they're hanging out with us. It's like, I'm benefiting from him, but I know he's not benefiting from me. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm benefiting from this person, but the way they relate to me is that they're allowing me to benefit yeah, from them. Right. Now, we can also be that for some people, right? There are some people that look at maybe one of us and think, man, I, I know I'm not really on my dean. I don't pray. I definitely wouldn't go to Ted Leaf on Tuesday night. I'm not at that point. But she still allows me to hang out with her, right? And maybe something you have will rub off on them too, you know? So if you, if, if you aren't, if you don't have access to people like that, you might have to become a person like that, which is a, a you know, a more difficult task, mm -hmm. you know? I once had a roommate named Jerome Thornton. He was from Bastrop, Louisiana. And uh, he would see me praying. He, would see, he wasn't Muslim. He would see me praying. And one day he just asked me, he said, you do that every day, huh? I heard, yep. He said, can I pray with you? I said, you want to become Muslim? <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> man, I'm from Louisiana, man. I'm Christian. <laughs> he said, no, I wasn't cool. He said, but when you pray, I'm just going to pray with you. And I swear to God, it would have been the oddest sight you've ever seen in your life. Mm. When I would be praying, I would be making salat. He would be standing next to me on his knees like, oh, wow. get, get this prayer, mm. getting it in, getting it in, getting it in. And it got to the point, all five prayers. Wow. It got to the point, he would wake me up for fudge. <laughs> Look, it's time. It's time for us to do this, man. <laughs> I would be telling him, wrong, wrong, wrong. It's not the exact time on the calendar. We got a window. <laughs> calendar say 445, Will. We got to get up, man. We got to offer these prayers. Come on now. I'm like, well, am I benefiting you? Are you benefiting me? <laughs> you, know you know, so sometimes we have to be that for other people. That somebody is, is maybe inspired by something that we're doing, right? So that that's the way that I think about that. Mm -hmm. SubhanAllah. Finishing it out. Yes. He said, thus, if a man or a woman achieves any state, inevitably his or her companions will be affected by it. 
So anything you become, people around you will be affected by it. Um, um, for this reason, Luqman, the full moon of wisdom, advised his son to keep close company with the people of knowledge. He compared the effect of the reviving light of wisdom upon the heart to that of a lush downpour upon the barren earth. So you were talking about like our interconnectedness. Mm. And what are maybe some examples, if you care to share, of you've, you've seen how maybe your state has affected someone else or someone else's state has affected you? Or um, the same thing among people that you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have like a one really good friend who I've had since, um, gosh, elementary school, uh, junior high school. And, you know, it's one of those things that as we are getting older, we're both in our, in somewhere in our 40s now. Um, and so we... Just somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. somewhere. Not, we don't have to yeah, discuss we'll, where. We'll have to be specific. Uh, exact location somewhere. is important. And, and it's one of those things where I just really feel like I was put in her life for a reason and she was put in my life for a reason. We have this kind of checks and balances kind of relationship, very similar temperaments, similar struggles with being similar strengths. Um, and when one of us is down, the other one is the like, no, you got this. You can do this. This is, you know, and the other one is the one that's sending a lecture or sending a hadith or, you know, and we literally seesaw, you know, like that, you know, this one's down and it's her turn to step up and, and pull. And when, you know, I'm down, it's, you know, it just, it goes back and forth like that. Um, and it's one of those things that I've really seen is like, you know, a lot, I don't know if we met in the realm of souls and decided we were going to do this for each other in this world, but you like, you know, you are a blessing you are a blessing to me, inshallah, I hope I'm a blessing to you because we help keep each other, inshallah, on the straight and narrow, <laughs> inshallah. Um, so I definitely see it. Um, but, I, you know, to, to answer the question that I posed to you, because there are times in my life where I did feel that, where I didn't have the access to scholars and, and, and people who I felt like um, could help kind of bring me up in that way that we've been discussing. But then I tried to create my community. Like I, I joke with my family, like I've got all these teachers who, I, to me, they are my teachers. Like I pray for them. They've never met me. They, they, they wouldn't know me if they saw them because I'm, they're on YouTube. But the effect that they've had on me, like they are absolutely integral to the person that I am today. Absolutely integral. You know, like I did Hajj Hamdulillah a couple of years ago in 2016 and they're on my Hajj list. You know, like I'm praying for all of them because I wouldn't be the Muslim I am today if not for their you know, what they put out in the world, you know, and again, they may never ever know my name, but like, I absolutely, you know, attribute where I am in life to, to their knowledge, you know, and what they put out in the world. So absolutely that effect of, of, of companianship, whether it's virtual and virtual is, is, you know, when you don't have the real thing, virtual is a thing, you know, there's no water. Yeah. It is the sand, sand, right? It's the sand of companionship. Um, So you know, you build that community however you can, and inshallah, you you see the fruits of it. You know, you see the effect of it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. You know, the uh, the benefits of good companionship are almost too numerous to even attempt to to like count them. Mm. You know, it's like I've seen many people undergo just like crazy transformation 
just because their surroundings changed. Mm. Right? Their surroundings changed, right? For, for good and for bad, right? I've seen people go from being very innocent and sensitive and committed and devout to being completely profligate mm. just because their surroundings changed. We have this ability to affect each other. Mm -hmm. Right, it's just it's 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 a part of our um, uh, the way that human beings I think engage is that we're either making withdrawals or we're making deposits in each other all the time, you know. And sometimes it's very simple. It's just like a person's state of anxiety can make me anxious. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, you know, I was good until I started talking to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now you know it's like. You know, a, a person's, um, you know, uh, optimism can make me optimistic. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I'm feeling down, the best thing for me is just talking to people that don't share that point of view, mm -hmm. right? People that, like, for them, it's like, no, man. Everything's rosy. I'm doing that. You know, God is in control. It's, you know, this, everything we're dealing with is in the hands of the most merciful of those who show mercy. Things are looking up. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I start feeling better. Right? You know, one of my friends, man, he suffers uh, depression. And he's, he's, you know, attempted different kinds of intervention, sometimes medicinal, sometimes therapeutic, sometimes. But one simple way that he says that he can interrupt his uh, depression is by going to Terminal 5 at O'Hare, the international terminal. And he said, seeing people greet loved ones that they haven't seen in a very long time just reminds him that there is good in this dunya, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, when you go to the international terminal, these are people that maybe you haven't seen them in years. And he says, when that door opens and they say, there he is, dad, dad. He's like, it reminds him, oh, Two hearts that Allah brought back together. Mm. There's something, there's something good in this dunya, man. Right? Mm. Or, you know, uh, the Prophet والسلام, said that there's 99, you know, you can divide the mercy of God into 99 parts. Right? Only the lowest part of one has been sent to the dunya. Right? The other part is all in the next life. And then he said, but from that one, the child cares for its young. The mother is concerned about her infant child. Mm. The husband and wife have rahmah between them. Like, like, that's just one part of God's mercy. And when I'm exposed to people who are living witnesses to that mercy, I feel better. Mm -hmm. Right? And when I'm exposed to people that they're just not able to access that right now, I also feel that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So like, like recognizing that, look, whoever you hang out with, they're going to um, impact you. Mm. They're going to affect you. They're, they're going to leave you with the share of something or they're going to take something from you. Mm. It, would, it would prompt us to choose our companions more wisely, mm. right? Absolutely. Yeah, to, to choose our relations more wisely. 
MashaAllah. So maybe this is a good place to, to stop, inshaAllah. قولوا قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين إن شاء الله بسم الله one of the questions that we have online says سلام thank you for addressing shame based culture how do you how do we balance between shame and negative self talk self judgment versus remorse and healthy levels of shame slash guilt that can be motivated, that can motivate us to improve? Wow, you know, that's one of those questions that you immediately recognize that the questioner is more intelligent and deeper than you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but just, just taking a, a, a swipe in the dark, the way that I've attempted to um, balance those things uh, in myself is allowing for the feeling of remorse Right when, when, when you do something wrong and allowing for the feeling of shame when you've misrepresented who you are, but then also recognizing that even in that state, I'm exactly where God has placed me. I am nothing besides what God has determined me to be, even in that state. And from there, I'm able to... Um, strike a balance that yes, there's remorse. Yes, there's shame, but there's also resignation. This is also the qadr of Allah. When the Prophet um, you know, taught us that one of the pillars of Iman was Al-Iman bil Qadr, right? Sharrihi wa khayri wa sharri qala Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam belief in divine decree it's good and it's bad it's 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 interesting that when we think about divine decree we only think about those things external to the self we think like i lost my job it was the qadr of allah or i got a new job it was the qadr of allah you know i got a divorce it was the qadr of allah i got married it was the qadr of allah right i had a child it was the qadr of allah i lost the child it was the qadr of allah we don't also connect qadr to our states. So like, I'm in a state of disobedience. It's the qadr of Allah. I'm in the state of obedience. It's the qadr of Allah. So in that, I can feel the remorse, but I also feel resignation. Like, I'm, I'm prepared to work from here because this is where God has me right now. This is where I'm at right now. So if I'm not praying, this is, where I, this, this, this is where I'm at right now. If I'm drinking, this is where I'm at right now. And that is also the qadr of Allah. And nothing that I could have done was going to uh, um, impact this outcome so that it wouldn't be. I was going to be right here. You know, um, and sometimes you have to recognize that these things with which I'm struggling are not things that I got into overnight and I might not get out of them overnight. Right? Ibn Ta'ilah, you know, he says beautifully, it takes time to develop a habitual act of wrongdoing. Like you've developed that act of wrongdoing over time. So now you have to commit the same amount of time to breaking those bad habits. 
which could mean a number of relapses and coming back and relapsing and coming back. You spent time developing the bad habit. Now you have to spend time relinquishing the bad habit. And some of us want to spend three years developing a bad habit, but a single evening relinquishing the bad habit. No, it doesn't, ha doesn't happen like that. Allah has me here, and I have to be prepared to do the hard work you know, from here. And Allah knows best. You have anything? Um, one thing that I would address that somebody recently said to me, and I, it just was profound. And I, I mean, it it's, it's, has to do with this sense of shame. And I think as Sheikh had mentioned earlier this evening, how it can become debilitating sometimes. And um, what this person told me is you have to kind of look inward. And when the sense of shame is debilitating, if it has you unwilling to move and unwilling to change because that voice is that strong, mm -hmm. then you have to recognize that that voice is most likely coming from Shaitan. Because he's yes, the only sure. one that benefits in your lack of movement. Mm -hmm. um, the kind of shame that's healthy is the kind that propels you to do better, that makes you yes. want to go closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when I was told that it was like a light bulb, you oh, know, it was a light key. bulb because the way that Shaitan likes to attack me is actually through stuff that seems praiseworthy. It's like, I set these lofty religious goals for myself and then I can't meet them. And it's the sense of shame is just, you know, mm. oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I, you know what I mean? And she was the one that kind of like pointed out like, well, actually, if it's doing that, have you ever considered that that's Shaitan's voice? You know, that's not a law mm. trying to get you to do this particular thing. And it was, oh, it was game changing. It really was. That's a game changer, man. You know, I remember Dr. Bilal where I heard him explain the distinction between um, humility and self-doubt. Mm. That humility is from Allah because humility is something that, you know, it's effective when after we do something, we think it could have been done better, mm. right? After we've finished doing something, we say, you know, I, you know, I don't know if it was sincere or I don't know, you know, I, I, I could have, you know, been more selfless. I, mm. But self-doubt is that which debilitates, it incapacitates, you see? No, you don't do it. You can't do it. You're not good enough to do it. That is from shaitan. Mm. Because the goal is to debilitate you. Right. No, you can't do it. You're not good enough. Don't, don't, don't try that. Humility is after you do it. Mm. You know, it, it could have been done better. Right. You know, I, I, I could have I worked a little bit harder. Um, I, you know, I hope I was sincere in, in, in what I offered. Um, that's humility. Mm. That, that, that imposter syndrome, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. That's from shaitan. Mm. Because the goal is for you to be debilitated, hopeless, uh, depressed. And then stagnant. And stagnant. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim al-Asr inna l-insana lafi khusr illa ladina amanu wa amilu s-salihati wa tawasa bil-haqq wa tawasa bil-sabr subhana rabbi rabbi al-izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillah rabbi al-alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam amin ya rabbi al-alameen Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'lifcollective.org forward slash donate. 
We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.